0: Gene Sachs sat down with moderator Steve Kaplan for a one-on-one interview in January of 1987. I'm Susan Stroman, a member of Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, and this is Masters of the Stage. This program is produced and presented by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing. Because this program was not originally intended for broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. As a result, portions of the conversation may have been edited. Uh, good afternoon.
1: Um, this is the second in a series of talks with uh, directors on comedy. And today with us is a gentleman who uh, started directing in 1963, he directed Enter Laughing. Uh, and then he followed that with Nobody Loves an Albatross, Half a Sixpence generation Maine, same time next year, California Sweet I love my wife for which you got a Tony Award, Biloxi Group, uh, Blues for which you got a Tony Award, Brighton Beach Memoirs for which you got a Tony Award. and now uh, Broadway Bound and uh, I'd like to welcome Gene Sachs <laughs> And the, the tape is rolling and just for the tape, my name is Steve Kaplan. I'm the artistic director of Manhattan Punchline. Um, Gene Sachs has been called one of the most successful and beloved directors on Broadway uh, somebody once said I would like to be surgically attached to his hip and um, Matthew Broderick said I wouldn't mind if I never worked with another director again um, what are you doing that makes you so beloved?
2: <clears throat> well you ought to ask those people today <laughs> I don't know when they, they, they said this uh, they said it a while ago I just beloved it <laughs> there's something very nice about me. You'll all be in love with me
1: uh, <clears throat> matter of moments uh, how how do How do you work with actors that that get them to be so uh so taken with it i, uh, I well I know, you know I think it comes from being afraid
2: to be disliked <laughs> I think that's the first thing and uh what you realize is that sooner or later you have to um, <clears throat> you have to come clean with them and uh, then they don't like you as much. Uh, I think you have to be uh, to gain anyone's confidence, I think you must um, have them feel that you like them. If you don't like the actors you work with, then I advise you don't work with them. Uh, I think it's a necessity for any director to fall in love with his actors. Uh, Even though it's a short-term love affair, uh, you must love them. I think only that way can they love you, and only that way can they give you Everything that they have, because you're asking an awful lot from an actor. Who you work, with. I think you're asking more than, your, than any employer asks of an employee. <clears throat> I think the relationship is such that um, an actor has to give so much. I don't think it's a profession, I can think of it requires as much from someone as acting.
1: Well, you started as an actor yourself. Yeah,
2: that's why. I speak with sympathy because I am an actor myself, and uh, I feel that that, in addition, helps me gain confidence for that.
1: When, when you first started directing, um, what, was your, what was your approach to directing comedy, and, and how, how do you think uh, that's grown? Or about to change? <clears throat> well, I think times have changed.
2: I think audiences today are much more impatient with comedy than they used to be. I think audiences no. Lo- I think audiences... I think the world today is impatient with foolishness. When I first started when I was a kid, uh, a lot that we put up with a lot more. I mean, we, we don't have today Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy. Uh, we don't have musical comedy with great comedians. Comedy is uh, apparently... Uh, that kind of comedy seems to be frowned upon. Or at least I, I feel an impatience on the part of the public with uh, what might be called in Yiddish, Narishkeit. Great clowning. Children's you know, uh, foolishness. We're a much more serious world today. And I think comedy has suffered somewhat. because We don't put up with that. Uh, well, there was the whole introduction in, uh, uh, what, years, probably the 50s, uh maybe 60s, of black comedy, which changed the face of comedy, in so well. Um Then, too, I think there's I hate the distinction between serious and comedy. I mean, I don't think there should be a division. Uh, I resent being categorized as a comedy director. I don't think I <clears throat> I am because I have done comedy. Uh, there isn't much tragedy to do. When was the last time ever any of you were offered a tragedy to direct? Uh, there's a certain amount of serious writing, but the serious writing
1: has comedy.
2: If it's any good, it usually. Has comedy.
1: Well, uh, when when you're working on a play like. Uh like Brighton Beach or like Broadway Bound, certainly um, the skills that you bring to it to some extent are comic as well as dramatic skills. I mean, you're fashioning a very funny and moving play. Um, yeah. how, how do you how did you approach uh, the the trilogy? I mean, did you know it was a trilogy to begin with? No, either? neither did
2: the author. He Wrote one play at a time, not knowing that he would write another. He had no. What
1: was what was the what was your introduction to it and how did you help shape it? Or was it or was it already done by the time you got to it?
2: Oh, every play I do of Simons is shaped and done. I mean, he, he shapes and does it himself. He doesn't require, he doesn't rely on me or anybody else. Uh, as far as the comedy is concerned, he's a very funny fellow. I mean, he never writes anything as that in some comedy. So it's there, uh, I see it too. And I'm, <coughs> I guess I look at, at things in a comic light. I think everybody, doesn't everyone, more or less. Probably. Otherwise, how do you laugh at something? Some people so,
1: don't. I don't want to know that. <laughs> Some of them come to our theater and view our plays. Um, I, I'm just I'm just wondering. Uh, punchline, the name of your theater. It's Punchline. That's comic. One hopes so. Uh, when you talk about tragedies, I could remember some of my plays. Um, one of the things that I'm wondering about is when you when you're working on on something like uh, Broadway Bound, um, what you're... you have a very funny script, and and it's it's been crafted and, and shaped, and and there's there's. Uh, it's a real power behind the script, but uh, as Neil Simon says, you have a wonderful ability to translate that humor. And so, can you talk specifically about how you take those words, that, those printed pages, and bring them to life, and, and what steps you go through, I mean, how do, work, how do you work with the actors?
2: A lot. I mean, I don't, know how, I don't quite know how to begin. How do you begin any play? How do you uh, start anything? I, I,
1: Leave me in. Tell me, well, tell me more specifically, because you, that's such a general thing. I don't know where to start. Going. Well, how do you start casting? I mean, what are you looking for? What kind of uh, what qualities you're looking for in an actor? I look for intelligence first.
2: I I look for um, I look for somebody, I and mean, with intelligence. I think there's a sense of humor. Uh, Usually, of course, you also look for people who are right for the part.
1: What what do you mean by that? It's a
2: male part. You look for (laughs) men. No, I I don't mean to be facetious, but uh, I look for people who interest me, people who won't bore me. Uh, I look for, um, and, and usually. And an intellect is a part of it, an important part. you see I think actors, yeah, you know, when I first started in the business, I had my friends, people who were usually in the literary field, usually writers looked down on actors, they thought they were stupid. The fact was, most parts were stupid. The actors can only say the words of the part that writers write, and so they look stupid. But um, what I found very soon was that <coughs> actors are highly intelligent, actors are very bright, some brighter than others, but um, I think that people... Don't look down on actors' intelligence the way they used to. They really used to them. In, in the 30s, I remember when I was a kid, uh, people thought of actors as poseurs, as uh, these handsome people who didn't have a brain in their head. Which was uh, very unfair because so they weren't. never no, were. Um,
1: well, you, you you have the actor come in and, and you're auditioning and they're an intelligent actor. Is there, is there something that you see in certain actors that that leads you to believe that they have a, a better ability to play comedy than others?
2: Well you say all that right away. I read actors usually two or three times for a part. I I never almost never cast somebody after only one read. I'm a, because I don't trust myself or them. I mean by that, <clears throat> uh, usually the first reading, if it's wonderful, is sometimes because of some special reason. Uh, the event, the the, the, the moment that uh, the actor reads uh Maybe it's the first time you heard the part read. Um, maybe you fall in love with them, maybe, you you know, whatever. But, um, so you read them again, and they're usually not as good the second. And then you read them a third, and either it all falls apart, or it comes back, and you know that your first impression was right. <clears throat> the first reading, of course, is terribly important, don't forget. Person comes in, sees somebody in the play. The moment that actor comes on the stage is an immediate reaction. I like him, I don't like him, almost so. Unless it's the middle road where you say, "I don't remember <laughs> uh, That's bad too. But I, I read a lot,
1: and I and I learn about the play. Like that. Do you do you let them bring it to you, or do you try and shape them in the audition? Sometimes, there's no rule, sometimes uh, I let them
2: do it. If I think there's something there that they're not getting at, and they possibly could and it's critical, and I like them for other reasons, and I say, then I go off and start working right away. Sometimes I don't know what I'm working at, because sometimes I don't know to play well enough yet to know whether this quality or, 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 or... This should be in the scene, or something else should be in the scene. So, I'm, but I take a, if I'm really interested in the person, and I'm uh, in a hurry about the casting, I'll go right up there and and work with them right away, and say, let's see if we can get this, the bottom of this. Will you, will you bear with me there? I want to work together. Of course, most actors are thrilled to do that. They love to do (laughs) that. And I take advantage of it.
1: You, I think it's important. Have you ever cast somebody and then realized you were wrong? And what, what have you done in that case? Well, uh,
2: I'm trying to think of a specific... I've, I've had to undo... I'm very cautious about casting. And I seldom make mistakes because I like to take the time. Because I... Uh, so I really have... I've had to fire actors couple times. It was very, very difficult. And I've had to fire actors that other people have cast. I've come in the productions later and had to deal with that problem. And that's nasty and I hate it. And I try to that's I think it should not be made in the first place. If you take proper time and proper care, but we're too impatient. And often we don't have a proper pre-production schedule. We don't, we have to get that right in the, you know, oh, I got the money, though, so let's go. I got the theater, we can't wait. And we're not ready. Um Theron Guthrie, an act- a director I worked with and admired a great deal, would not fire an actor. He said, it's my mistake, I'll live with it. But it's a typical, typically British attitude. Which is that it's only a play. But um, here we feel quite differently about it. Whether the money means more to us here than those within, I don't know. But uh, it's a tragedy when we have the wrong actor. And it can kill a play.
1: No question. Um, You talk about pre production work. you also talked about at one point going uh, up to Bucks County to see uh, a, a production, a workshop production of *Barefoot in the Park*, and you had analyzed the play and you were ready to give uh, Neil Simon all these.
2: Oh, that's that story. And right. you, you want me to repeat that? Story? Sure. No, no. It wasn't <laughs> a, pl- was, it was not a workshop. It was a. <clears throat> it was a trial *Barefoot in the Park*. It was with the cast. It did. And uh, Neil Simon Panics, always. And uh, Mike Nichols was directing, it was his first directorial job. And I got word that uh, his agent said that they, they would like me to look at it, they said it was in trouble. So I went to Bucks County and saw the first performance of the play, and it went swimming. Everybody adored it. Huge laughs. It was terrific. But I looked at it with this, because I was told that I was there to help, I looked at it with a very severe eye, and I was analyzing it, But I thought, I know it's wrong. He hasn't decided whether the mother or the daughter is the main character. And of course, I met him after the show. Now, well, the audience didn't give a damn whether the <laughs> audience, whether the, the mother, and the character, the daughter, was there. They had a good time. So I went in and I said, uh, Neil, I know what's right." People were going by saying, That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Congratulations. Congratulations i tell you what I feel. Neil, wonderful. I said, I just laughed so much. And he would say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyway, I was trying to get worded. <laughs> <laughs> so just finally he said, Gene, thanks for coming. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I said, well, good luck.
1: <laughs> Never got a chance
2: to get my criticism.
1: <clears throat> Do you, um What what about some of the other plays uh, that weren't written by Simon? Uh, Do you do a lot of dramaturgical work, a lot of fixing work before you get into rehearsal? Do you you usually do that uh, kind of work in rehearsal? Do you do a lot of rewrites?
2: Well, the things that I... The most... Plays mostly were musicals where we did a lot of rewriting, and most of them were disastrous. Uh, I'm trying to think of a play that had a great deal of rewriting, that worked <laughs> Most of the time, I would say no. Uh, and I push those failures out of my mind. Um, I have just as long a list of the ones that you read that are failures that I don't publish. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, the terrible thing is to be out of town in a musical, with a musical that is uh, crashing about and, uh, moving songs, so, you know, you usually have one good song, so you try it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> to wind up opening the show with it, <laughs> so that they at least sit through the beginning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you know that you're you're really in trouble there, because you... Somebody had not bothered to really write a play. Uh, We've done a lot of rewriting, and, and, and Neil's done a lot of small rewrites And shows. <coughs> the biggest rewrites he did were out of readings in casting. And that I think is a, is a very important thing, because we've learned about the play. We've learned about scenes that didn't work, and he's very fast to see it, and so we he'd come up with another idea. In in Broadway Bound, uh, it was critical. Also in Biloxi Blues, but especially in Broadway Bound, because the big scene in the second act of the mother telling her son about how she danced with George Rath was not present in the original film. How
1: did that come about? Because
2: it came about out. because he had another character there, Angela which was a, uh, the, and, the, and the scene was a failure. I mean, we found that out, casting, You know, when you can't cast a part, it's a wonderful indication that the part isn't working. You see every actress in New York between the ages of 17 and 28, and none of them can make that thing to come off the page then you know that something must be wrong and incidentally he wrote that scene rewrote that scene three times with the agent so
1: maybe if i do this what yeah. was it like originally what was the
2: well it was an angel who came to see him to see the boy who was in love with the girl that and girl tells he, he talks about but he talks house. about she came and she came to the house and said uh You have such a wonderful home life. My family's breaking up and uh, I admire your home. We're much wealthier than you you are, but you're better off and so forth. And uh, the scene had nowhere to go. It had no real meaning. It had, uh, it was a manipulative, the ideas of being transmitted by the character. The idea was that let's get a young girl in uh, who, you know, nobody likes to see and sit and see old people all <laughs> got a pretty young girl in and um, a love interest going, and uh, there was no reason for it. There was no need for it other than that, and so it was the author manipulating and plunking
1: somebody in it, and it just didn't work. So, so when did, when did you come around to the, the mother telling the story in the dance?
2: Well, we came around to that after he wrote it, which was after we cast the play, had a reading of it about eight weeks before we went to the rehearsal. And at that reading, it became startlingly clear that that didn't work, <clears> that it was out of place. And so he came to me and said, I'm wrong. I'm going to change it. Don't worry. I have an idea. I said, why? He said, he, he dances with his mother. That's all I can tell you. That's what I, he's going to, he dances with his mother. I said, oh, that's wonderful. I I really love that. I mean, it just, you know, you say the right word, it means something very meaningful. So I didn't know what the scene was going to be. But that would be the crux of it. And uh, within a week, he had a new scene. So I read it Much better. And then his, his play was. became a play about his mother, which it never was. Strange how you find, we're talking more about playwriting than we are about directing. But it's strange how. <coughs>
1: plays it Uh but it, in that scene, it it's so beautifully done and and so very funny at the same time. While you know, the whole thematic elements of the play are coming together in that moment, um, what did you, what? How did you approach it? I mean, you know, specifically with the with the actors.
2: Well, Linda Lavin. Uh, is, Such a consummate actress. She, we did a lot of fun. Fooling with it, rehearsing it, experimenting with it, with the the story. Uh, And then simplified, 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 and got it down to where it is now. And it was never a problem. There's always the the balance between the serious and the comedy, which I never have any problem. It seems to me it's the easiest thing to do. Um, I always go for the serious. That's the important thing. The comedy happens, but I also and conscious when, when doing something serious like that, that should never be portentous or overly sentimental. But I have a good innate sense of boundary in those things. I think I have an automatic ma- taste, which uh, I don't have to... I'm, I'm tasteful. I don't usually... Um, I just always have that. I mean, I think that's something that one can't learn. Is, what it is
1: that way or not? Well, is, it are there, very, uh, egomaniacal, I well but are, are there any in thinking on? Are, are there any things that that you find yourself believing in and applying time after time after time, where whereby it's one thing to say you you know have good comic taste that that allows the series, and there's another thing to say, well, if he does this, that will create a comic moment and if he does that that will kill a comic moment. <coughs> I mean, everybody you knows heard of the, the rule of three things. Are there any things that you that you consciously apply no. here, Michelle? I don't go by any
2: rule. No. Really there are scenes that are difficult to balance, there are scenes that are difficult to make work, but I don't go by any rules. And I, I, I am dogged, I'll keep at it until I get it. I'll be like a dog with a bone. I just will not leave it alone. And, you know, sometimes it's better to walk away. But I know. I'll tell you, the toughest scene in that play to get, when one we of the toughest was the first scene in the play when the old man comes down with his soiled bed sheet in the paper bag, and Kate takes them away from him. It's a serious scene, but it's a comic scene, and, it's, and that was very, very difficult to get right, so that there were both elements in it.
1: How do you solve it?
2: By just doing it, and doing it, and doing it, and trying it this way, and that way, and the other way, and don't take the bag too fast, and, 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 and don't take it too slowly. And, uh, when to look in the bag and when not to, and, and, and how, how much, how many, how far Jan, John Randolph should get with putting his coat and hat on and getting to the door, and how, uh, uh, what's, you know, uh, should he sit on the couch, should he not sit on the couch, should she, how close should she come, how forceful should she be, how force, forceful should he be, how much argument is there, how much conflict in it, because it can go into all other areas, and it was just a, uh, um, to find the right notes to play in it, is something I think you just have to experiment with. And the actors, bless them, are willing to experiment with it. They feel it too, You see. they feel, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. Then when they feel it's right, they know it, just as you do. But it's something that, um, I, I, I think you're just supposed to
1: experiment. You must, are you talking about experimenting just in rehearsal or, it, or in preview? Oh, in rehearsal. Or? In rehearsal.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: By the time that first run-through comes, uh, it's pretty close to what I want. Have you ever yeah. done something whereby you're working in rehearsal and you really think you have the right balance, and then you get in front of a group of people yeah. and it just doesn't work? What do you do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... Uh,
0: the success bad. stories.
1: One of the ones on this, on the other list, on, on, on the good list. That was the fault of the writing, not
2: my fault. <laughs> uh, sure, you get that. I... <clears throat> well, you know, comedy is right. Very... I'm just thinking about a line that was reminded of... We had a thing where we tried to get the two boys downstairs because it was boring having the two boys three long comedy scenes upstairs, confined in that area, and we wanted to get them downstairs. How did we get them downstairs? Um, Neil wrote a lot, he's very clever at this, he wrote a lot of different things. and. Everything. I'd read it and wed the cast and read it before we'd go on like let's try this it'll be terribly funny to us there was one line that he reminded me of here, um, which she said but it, I, I it's too long to give you the build-up of it but the punch line was uh, I'd find a hundred pounds of liver in the basement I remember the funny image. <laughs> There's a hundred pounds of liver in the basement. Oh, Oh, my God. when do they get this. Met with dead silence. (laughs) So we take it out. We try another one. The point was that none of it worked. It didn't work because it was manipulative. The audience didn't say, hey, that's manipulative. They just suspected the truth. They didn't... And by manipulative, you mean... it was the playwright manipulating to get the two boys to We finally did, but through a very clever manipulation. If you're going to manipulate, you have to be damn clever. Um, they come downstairs... We finally got it a noise through noise. The, they're yelling, and the grandfather comes and says, I can't sleep, go into another business. And then they run downstairs. <clears throat> Which is valid in that they were making a lot of noise, you so, uh, that finally worked. But, uh, I don't remember what our starting point
1: was. Just, um, gee, I don't remember either, but I think it was something about uh, how you, uh, if you're conscious of making choice A, B, C, knowing that it's going to produce a laugh. Because mm. I mean, if we're going to talk about directing comedy, not so much a play, which is a lot of different things, but... But the art of being able to create that laugh when you need it. Um,
2: yeah, but that's minor. I keep getting better. That's never the, the. um even though I tell you that the hundred pounds of living in the basement joke didn't work, the point was to get the boys downstairs. You know, not not to, And along the way, we had to get some laughs to do it. Uh, but the laughs can be gotten. Uh, but uh, the purpose. Is different. The purpose is to do the plane. The purpose is to tell the story of the plane. Never to, just to get the land. I mean, I think that's absolutely death if you try that. I mean, um, and that has never been my purpose in anything.
1: And it's, to t- it's to tell the story. And if you're telling a story it's funny and the audience will So it is. But the audience, if it's a funny
2: story, if there's humor in it, you know, talking about this and talking about rules and so forth, I find almost impossible. I can't, I can only talk about telling a story.
1: Well, how did you tell the story differently in Broadway Bound than in, in Brighton Beach? The story was a different story. I'm not dodging it. No, I, I
2: know, One was a, a, a written about incidents years later <clears throat> with much more darker, much more dark elements in it. The first one was a kind of rosy memoir of a 15 year old boy. The latter was uh, a memoir through the eyes of a 26-year-old who had gone through a war, and whose uh, family had gone proceeded through a history, a change of years. The uh, whole family circumstances were different, and so it made the uh, made the. Uh, Material. Darker, I think. It's just what I said at the beginning when I was talking about the fact that people today are impatient with, with the kind of comedy we had years ago, uh, because times have changed. We've been through some hideous wars and some uh, brutal kind of
1: experiences, and we can't, we don't have the patience for that. You, you don't think that, that Alan Arkin today would be as funny as Alan Arkin? 20, 25 years ago? Alan Arkin was in
2: many ways ahead of his time. He, uh, yes, he would be as funny today. He, he was always a black comedian. He, or, you never knew what, what uh, Alan's success was that he was such a uh, reaction to, uh, comedians of the day. I mean, it's like uh, Lenny Bruce's success was a reaction against what had been. And I think Alan is that. It's a very special kind of a Yes, I think it'd be as funny today as he was. There. He found it very hard to do things that he considered conventional or straightforward. He was a person from the he was a, uh, a boy of the 50s and 60s and Inner Laughing was a story of a boy of the 30s and 40s and that uh, was Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner is this straightforward, come right at you uh, smiling ingratiating I hope you like me, fellow, which was the style of that period, was the style of the salesman with the shine on his shoes and the smile on his heart and the whole kind of open, uh, guileless kind of thing of those days, which people later began to suspect. They said, no, oh, they're phony. They don't really do that even though they didn't know they were folks. Alan resented that idea. And his comedy and his whole persona was one of not showing anything. So when something would come out, you know, suddenly an agonized scream would come out of <coughs> an Absolutely classic face. Ah! <laughs> oh my God, that man is in terrible pain. Funny, but uh, Alan would say would get absolutely praised and say Who is this character? And they're laughing. Oh boy, I want to be an actor. I don't understand him. Is he is he Carl writer or isn't he Carl Ryder? And I would be afraid of him. Jesus, if I tell him he's Carl Ryder. <laughs> He'll quit the show. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell him he's Carl Ryder. He'll be confused. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, um, but he, he didn't know how easy it was. Really. He felt that it had to be difficult. But he was just murderously funny at that show. I don't know if you saw it.
1: Oh, I, didn't, I didn't see that show. Uh, but but I, my first acting job. Uh, was in interlapping using your stage track really so in fact you were my first director (laughs) um and on that note uh good part questions from the audience um i've been asked to ask for ssdnc members first Um,
2: Your way, (laughs) better. Uh, Oh, sure. A lot of times they don't know. They don't know how bad they are, Uh, or that something is wrong, and they don't sense it. But you do. I mean, that's your job. No, I know that. No, of course, I was, I dealt with some pretty, when, it, when I was less experienced, uh, I dealt with people who were very difficult. I mean, I can go on about that. And uh, you have to earn your medals. You have to, it's very tough sometimes. Uh, generally, if you know what you're talking about, even the toughest, most difficult person comes around. I may be glossing that over mm-hmm. times when they didn't, and uh, but it is tough, but it, it, it helps to have credentials, but it helps to know what you're doing, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that answers me. Yes, you have to. You taste. I really didn't use any different approach. Maybe that's a problem. I don't know. I uh, I, I can only add direct actors the same, more or less, in every way. In, with the boy, I had to be <clears throat> very careful to keep him down. He had tended tended to act and get very big, as he had to do on the stage. And when the camera comes in, of course, is less required have to get the same effect, but you have to, but he must do much less. <clears throat> but uh, it's, it's, the difficult thing, of course, is without audience. But I tell you, when you rehearse a play, and that last week of rehearsal when you're doing run-throughs, uh, you've got to trust your own sense of being an audience. Uh, your sense of the timing of something and your sense of when it's funny and when it's not and and, and the pauses and the the, the tempo and the quality has to be you have to have enough trust in it so that you don't find yourself changing it for an audience. I mean, what I do finally, the last rehearsal before the first audience comes in, I don't find there's that much difference. I mean, when the audience comes in, I feel that they respond the way I respond. That's my goal, my desire. I don't, you know, I mean, you've seen things when after rehearsal, the director gets bored of something He says, let's pick it up, let's pick it up. It's the first thing you know you have it. 78 record goes. The audience comes in, and they don't know what the hell is going on. Then they're a great, you know, uh, they often say, you see with an audience, oh, oh, they didn't hear that, oh, they didn't get that, oh, I see, this is much too fast, or this is much too slow, or the audience is way ahead. But uh, I think you should
1: pretty much be an audience yourself. In t- talking about timing, one of the one of the questions that uh, Jim suggested, um, and it's a good one, um, is timing something innate in a performer or designed and orchestrated by you? Well,
2: well the t- uh, yes, it's it, it, both. It's innate in a performer. A good performer has a wonderful sense of timing. But I mean, whether you have two performers or three performers, then you have to step in and uh, when you want to pause, when you want something to happen, an instance of, the, of, of when the actress gets up to dance, makes the decision whether to dance or not to dance with her son.
1: Very funny. Moment. You
2: know, I thought of the moment of getting up, when she should get up, how long to hold the pause is something that I as as, as director, uh, dictate with her crew. I mean, she's uncomfortable. I'm trying to find out why, but I I would dictate the amount of pause. Yeah, okay. I mean it's like the symphony conductor, who you conduct a symphonic work or any other one. I mean you feel where to pause, where to start, what would incorporate. Most of the qualities of the part that are essential in the part. I also like to have the moments, the big moments of the play, to see whether the actor, how the actor handles that big moment, in a reading. When they
1: come back, you say, "From that, from that? Do you have to
2: do that again, or something different." Well, both. Yeah. Both. no rule about it, but I mean, I, I try to. I try to make sure that they can do every aspect of the part. And if it's necessary to read another scene, I have them do it. I'd rather spend that time you with know, convince myself and me. i like like Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, that you know, that that particular concept of uh, love my wife was uh, somewhat there before I got involved with it. Another director had started it. And, uh, the playwright usually dictates a lot of that so, himself. Uh, they said they want the band on stage. But they didn't think, how do they want the band on stage? They just want it on stage. Yeah, well then you have a band, but what will they be? What will they do? How will they be dressed? What will their attitude be to what's going on? Are they part of what's going on? Or are they, what, what are they? I remember uh, Si Coleman's conceit that his love of musicians, he wanted to give them, he wanted the, he didn't like them in the pit, hidden. he said, you know, the audience should see what they do, you know, and, and they should be applauded for it. And I said, well, fine, but what are they going to do? <laughs> And I don't know, he talked about, oh, why don't we have him in a lobby between the <laughs> packs? But he had no dramatic conception of it. And so that was all left to me. And it was actually fun working out. But um, I remember one fierce argument he had. At the start of the second act, he wrote this song for me. And I didn't know how to incorporate it. And I, then I thought, it's Christmas time, what if they're given Santa suits and they're <clears throat> like Salvation Army? And I thought it was a great idea, and I went to him and said, I got a great idea, and he told him the idea. And he said, oh, I don't know, no, 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 he said, they'll be demeaned. <laughs> no, I don't want them that way. So fortunately, Mike Stewart, the book author, thought it was a good idea, too, and fought for it, and we... I yeah, it was, the, you know, one of the better ideas in the show. And uh, he finally then bought it. But it's funny how concepts like that are, are created. Uh, see, he had the idea to put the musicians on the stage, and he wanted them to be incorporated, but he didn't have any idea how to do it. So that was left to me. As far as the sets are concerned, I always felt that if sets could be designed, After rehearsal, that would be great. What I find is the problem of making decisions about sets under the pressure of costing thousands of dollars ahead of time before I'm ready to really know what we... You know, I have a superficial idea of what is needed, and the playwright has said. but, But especially in style plays, how wonderful it would be if they could be the result of rehearsal, then we could say, you see, what we need is this. Of uh, course, I'm pretty anti-scenery. I always go back to the thing. The best things I've ever seen have been the run throughs shows have done before they left town. What a bare stage. And uh, then when they come into town, what happens? The scenery came in these big couches, people are swallowed up by it, it just doesn't have that, that intensity of focus that we had on a bare stage. Uh, the best experience I ever had as an actor was being in the national company of Mr. Roberts with Henry Fonda, and we were in a blizzard going from Minneapolis to Omaha. The scenery was del- delayed. And we got there late and had to play several shows in a bare stage. Of a show like Mr. Roberts, which takes place on shipboard. And a scene like the General Porter scene where we were crawling up at the gun tubs and having heights and looking down. at we, we had to do by just taking plain chairs like this and putting them on the stage, standing on a chair, uh, sort of our town style. Well, what happened was that it was a most startling performance of all, because we were forced as actors to such a point of intensity and urgency with our fellow actors, that we really looked at them, really looked at them, really acted, went out toward them, and it was, a, it was also an event in that Henry Fonda was playing his hometown, and uh, it was sold out, and uh, the fact that there was no scenery was made even more of an event, so I can't uh, uh, ignore that. But that was really exciting. It had, if any, it was
1: really theater, But you use the same intensity of focus in, in Broadway Bound. There's, there's a wonderful simplicity and stillness in the piece, there's you know, you know all everything extraneous has been whittled away to just the, yes. and so and the scenery too even though it's very it's very naturalistic seemingly is really very expressionistic it, you just have yes. enough space yes. to do what is absolutely yes. necessary and everything else has been thrown away. it brings up a good point that might be of interest. I mean, the way I
2: work is that I do far too much to begin with, and I always knew that, and I did it as an actor too. I was for one of not knowing what I was doing, I get uncomfortable and I'd move. So I do that the same way with actors. I move them a lot to start. And then I, I say, I don't need this move. I don't need that move. I don't need this. I don't need that. And pretty soon you're whittling away all the excess to get to what you really need. Uh, which I think is an important point. Yeah, I don't know. I try to I try to make songs work as scenes, and, and and no, I'd say I try to legitimize it all. And, you know, for whatever that's worth, and it maybe it's sometimes wrong because you don't always want something legitimate when you think the believe. Maybe it should be less legitimate. But I, I, I think it has to have the truth at the bottom, it has to have spring from some truth and reality. Whether it becomes big and florid or not, it, it has to have the, the, the truth to begin with. Yes? Yes. you that the secret to be young
1: and still lazy, young kids come into the best room you want to be an actor, how is this, young kids, when you're looking at
2: Here. You should act like a young kid who's never been in a dressing room before. You go back to feel, how how, do I, how would I feel if I were a young kid that age, in an actress's dressing? Uh-huh. You mean as a director? No, oh, as an actor? Good. You must have had the right feeling. <laughs>
1: That
2: made by you mean the movie? No, no. Thank uh, you. I'll, I'll tell you, I was not involved, I was involved with some of the cast. Some of it had, I inherited some of it. Uh, However, I was in the three people had to be let go in that original. Uh, the actress who was playing Blanche was Piper Lord who happens to be Jewish. Uh, but she did get the message of that place, I mean, she was just wrong texturing as an actress for that Theory didn't know how to cope with it, and so she was, there was also a young girl who played the young girl who had to be dismissed because she was just totally wrong fabric. <clears throat> And in the case of Piper Laurie, we had to replace her in a very short order, and we got my old friend and a terribly capable actress, Joyce Van Pat, to come in. Now, ethnically, she was certainly the furthest from being Jewish, but she understood the, the play and mentally, physically. We knew that we could get a performance from her in one week's time, and it was, we were, we had to have it. Um, another girl I cast for, uh, for the young girl was a very Jewish-looking girl, a, a, a Jewish girl. And so my and Elizabeth Franz played the other part. Of course, she wasn't but I just loved her so as an actress, I thought she was wonderful. So there was no real. I think the only concerted effort was to try not to cast in a stereotype way. I mean, it wasn't it didn't seem important whether they were Jewish or not, but that it was important that they should not be Jewish stereotypes. And in some you know, it got away from us sometimes. I and mean, we with Joyce Van Patton, we were uh, people said well she's not Jewish. Well obviously, but uh she was an actress we liked. and felt could do the job for us. Uh, no, that was a, the the only decision that was made was I was involved with it, with it with the casting of Peter Michael Gatz and I was not involved with the casting of Jelko Ivankovic. Uh, so that, but I but I thought they were good choice. Were good actors. Perhaps I would have done it differently had I been there with a lady, I don't know. Uh, the one thing we agreed on was that we didn't want to be stereotypical in our cast. I'm just curious as to what you're saying about the cast in the state. Why
1: would those two casts, why would you?
2: Because another director at that time was going to do the play. And some of the casting was done well ahead of time. What was the Oh, that's another person. I don't think it's place of time to discuss that. What about Black Panther? Pardon? Black Well, the particular. Um, Really, my choice, and I was perhaps more—I uh, I perhaps had the idea. I tell you how it happened. She was to read for Blanche, and she said, "I don't want to read for that. I want to read for the other part. I'd like to do Kate." And I said, "Well," she said, "I want to read for it. Can I read?" It? And whatever an actress of that and well, he says, I'd like to read for something that has a feeling that she wants to do it. I'm all for it. I'm uh, forgiving her a reading. I think it's something you have to do. So, uh, and, and also, we didn't have anybody. We had looked and looked and we had, couldn't come up with whom we wanted. I mean, we didn't know who we were. It was uh, a of that. So I said to Neil, uh, uh, why wife wants to read he said, well, oh, she's all wrong. I said, I know, she seems to be, and if she wants to read, I think we ought to listen. Well, we came in and she read, and she knocked her socks off. You wouldn't believe. It was brilliant! It was To me, it was the part that was as ethnic as I wanted to be, the fact that what she looks like <clears throat> is not most of our concept of what a Jewish mother looks like. Is Something I think I was ready to deal with. But I still don't know. I think she did a good job. Um how for example, the i I didn't. I, I almost never know. I experiment with it, right? improvise on our feet. And very early. I mean, I, I read the play maybe twice, I don't like to read more than that. I finally ought to get up and do something. You know, and I remember the first play I did, a friend of mine, Joe Layton, uh, Joe Layton said, I had a drink with him or something, I said, I'm so Boy, I'm going to rehearsal tomorrow. First play I've ever directed. I don't know what to do. I said, what do you tell them? You don't? I, I said I, I'm, I'm all right around the table reading. I have to get on my feet. while do I He said, "Well, his, he said, well, you've got to tell them something. Be definite." He said, <laughs> "Tell them to, you know, get the set out there." He said, "Tell them to sit on this line, stand on that line." I said, oh yeah, 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 I'll be there. So I got in there and I said, and I did the opposite. I said, they said, you opened it up a little I said, I don't know yet. Another <laughs> question? <laughs> <laughs> when the curtain fell on Broadway floor I realized
1: all night I had absolutely no idea that I was watching the family. At the the <laughs> That's and, nice. and then I was even more surprised to realize that um, I believed it was the same family I had
0: seen two years ago, even though I was
1: watching different actors. And I was wondering did the text leave them in
2: Behavior, or did you share a lot of what you learned about the Jerome's with uh, Bruce Peter, or with I think that both are true, yes. God knows I learned a lot about the Jerome's. brought a lot of my own family to it. So that uh, I knew pretty much felt I knew pretty much how they would say things and do things. Except that they brought their own but, uh like we're all part of the same brotherhood. I mean, we bring our families to all of us. And the audience, too, by the way. The audience brings so much. And somebody said to me the other day, uh, when I was, what are you know about these differences between film and, and stage? And one thing that really hit me uh, it isn't said very much. Is to me, the participation of an audience in a theater piece, in a stage play, that, and every night is a little different, the personality of that audience becomes a a very important character in that play, Uh, which is only true up to a point in the movie, because the Actors on the screen cannot share that with them. They're not there to get those waves and send back what they feel. And that seems to me a critical and very important difference between the two leaders And the one, uh, uh, what makes the stage absolutely uh, uh, singular, the character of that audience. Who's the character? You just said it, you just said, I I thought I was looking at the same thing. you know, those observations, those feelings, whether they're transmitted by you getting up there and saying, yes, I love you all, or not saying anything, just somehow transmit that, whatever you feel, to the audience, to these people on stage. I, that. I don't really like the
0: distinction between
2: Yep.
1: So you're really for the, drama
2: of
1: the show. Right. So, uh, to that end, when
2: you're doing the show, at, uh, a show do, do you expect your actors or do you help your actors to do any kind of signposting or triggering of the Sign Signposting and trigger, you mean? Explain what want, you mean. You know, the Sunshine Boys is loaded with stuff. No. Get oh yeah, party. yeah, yeah, yeah. I find a lot of the actors I work with know as much about that as I do. You know, I mean, you can't tell Linda Lavin much about that. Nor can you tell Joan Randolph much about that. They know. And uh, again, I don't feel in the need to do that. I mean, I know it. I know that. You know, I. When I was in high school and I first was an actor, I learned how to do double takes before any of the others, you know, I could do that, and then I could do a uh, triple, <laughs> uh, I grew to quadru- and then I did that all through college, <laughs> and then it got to a point where I said, don't do that anymore, that's, that's bad, you, know, you got to find something new, so you can to keep finding something new. I think it's when you start to depend on old tricks or old messages. I mean, that's what happened to the sunshine You know, I mean, they, they went down with that. Uh, I, I, I'm having the courage to throw everything you know out and start fresh. You know, don't do anything old. Don't do any of your own. Hard to do, but I think
1: it's the, it's a goal. Well, one of the actors said that what they loved working about loved about working with you was that the fact that you would sacrifice any joke to tell the story and to keep the reality of their characters mm-hmm. alive. Uh, one last question. You said you'll send it always ten. It seems that there's always one actor, sometimes the whole cast,
2: you mean the actor? Yeah. Um, oh, also the playwright's dangerous. It's got a rather skilled contract. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: I think you handle each one differently depending on his personality. I don't think there's any general rule for it. I mean, with Neil, I listen. I say yes. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh, and I don't. And I learn not to. Fight back at that moment. Tomorrow it will change. You'll we'll get over it. Uh, I think you must know your animal, know your customer. And, uh, so, you know, some people need to be stepped on right away, and some people need to be given a lot of hope. And some people need to be treated kindly and lovingly and some people have to be treated honestly. That's what you must learn about individual people you're working with. you'
1: working okay I, a comedian once said that comedians draw pictures of the world and the closer you look the better you draw and uh, I want to thank you for drawing accurate incisive and loving yeah. pictures of your world thank you thank you thank you, thank you.
0: Thank you. Again, this is Susan Stroman, and thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage, made possible through support from Stage Directors and Choreographer Society, the National Theatrical Union celebrating five decades of uniting, empowering, and protecting professional stage directors and choreographers. Visit us online at sdcweb.org. This online series is presented in collaboration with the American Theater Wing, dedicated to illuminating how theater is made through the words of the people who make theater. Visit them online at AmericanTheaterWing.org.